Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's it, there's a new member. Welcome one, welcome all to the Tortillas and Takes podcast, part of the 1012 Network. You are on once again with your boy, I'll be sure. And the season is complete. The Texas Tech Red Raiders finished the season seven and six after what is one of the wildest seasons in a, with a pretty wild program in general. Uh, so we are recapping the season. And because of that, the whole gang's here. And that starts off with our right-hand man that is Dylan Smythe. What's up, Dylan? Welcome to the Breakfast Club, everybody. We're recording in the morning. Not something we typically do. Uh, we usually record way too late, actually, in my opinion. So I'm happy to be on the morning edition of the Tortillas and Takes podcast. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Dylan's over here slurping some coffee down. He's he's good to go. You know, he's, he's got a morning Joe. Uh, and then we have the outsider. For those of y'all that read the book Outsiders when they were kids, that is Jeremy Gillen, aka Pony Jean Boy, jacket, jean jacket, backwards hat man. What's up, Jeremy? What a throwback, man! I I don't know about Dylan. I love the morning. I love the morning. This this is the best way to wake up today. You get to wake up, get to talk about Texas Tech athletics with your boys, and then people will listen to this later in the day. It, it's just this is the best scenario. I don't know why we record no, so late. No, at I'm all. with you. That's what I was saying too. I, I I'm down for the morning edition i have jobs okay i need money all right this does not pay enough (laughs) you know really if uh um larger media outlets can hear this and give us jobs and money we can pay a lot we can record this a lot earlier all right so uh there you go friends of the pod that actually make money and do this for a living you know, help us out. <laughs> help us out here. So, uh, anyways, Texas, like I said, Texas Tech, seven and six on the season. Uh, this has been a pretty crazy season, Jeremy. I mean, what are your now that the season's wrapped up? I mean, give me one word to describe the season for you. Uh, 
can it be anything other than a roller coaster when it comes to Texas Tech? I, it feels like every season there's always something something happening, something new that just makes us go, this is the best. Ah, this is the worst. And, you know, there's always those those highs and lows that just give that that college that college football time of year the drama it needs to just keep bringing us back from more pain. Um but a roller coaster is the best way to sum it up. I mean, this started off with a lot of promise, and there were some red flags that I think administration took a hold of uh, a lot sooner than most people in the nation would expect. Took a big turn, and then we end on a super hopeful note after just kind of like an ambiguity. And so this has been a really exciting precursor. This is like uh, this is like one of the best prequels for what we hope to be a really exciting 2022 season. And I think in the way that this 2022 season plays out, we'll be able to kind of better digest and better uh, pull apart, you know, what happened this season to bring us to where we're going to be next season. That's great. Dylan, what about you? Give me one word and expand on it as far as to describe the 2021 season. Unpredictable. That's my word, because I think, Going going into the season, I think our preview podcast and the th- stuff I said going into the season would back this up. Going into the season, I thought if Texas Tech won a bowl game, that Matt Wells would still be the coach. That that's how I think a lot of us felt going into the season. And so, I mean, you're not you're not wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you just I, never got to that point. If he was around to yeah. win that bowl game, well, he'd still yeah, be here. You know, and, and so there's something to be said of like the preemptive <laughs> strike firing. They said, you know what? He's going to win a bowl game. We're going to have to retain him. Nah, screw that. Let's just pull the cord now. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest surprise for me is that, you know, the midseason firing, the hiring of Joey McGuire and, and, and Joey McGuire really taking advantage of being hired early. Um, I think. I know I'm already looking ahead to next season and we're supposed to be talking about last season, but it was a big story this year to fire your coach midseason and for it to have the results that it did was uh, pretty unpredictable. That's that's a good one. I, I mean, I'm just going to say chaotic. Like, that's that's my thing. The whole season was so chaotic. And it started off with the Houston game. Houston game was an incredible game to begin with, but you're down 14. You know, you're down 14 early in the first quarter. Offense really barely even gets on the field. Right. Actually, the first two drives, they didn't get on the field. Houston scores. You're like, oh, man, the sky is falling. Then for us to come back, we're like, oh, it's going to be a great year. But then you have the SFA game where we barely win that one. The Texas game, we get blown. Like all these things was just so roller coaster was a good way to describe it as well. But just chaos, good and bad chaos all the way throughout. Uh, It was just an absolutely wild season. Um, but I've already kind of started on this track, so let's go ahead and get to it. Let's talk about the season itself. So I talked about the Houston game, which I said, and I was re-listening to some of our earlier podcasts, I said quite a bit, quite often, that Houston was a bad team. Hindsight is 2020. They're not a bad team. They won 10 games, right? They be, they beat Auburn in their bowl in their bowl game. Uh, they're not a bad team. However, I do want to they're a team that had two losses on the season. One to Cincinnati, a team in the New York in the college football playoff, and one to Texas Tech. Right. And so that tells you what we were saying in the pre- preview pod. That this was a very talented Texas Tech team. A lot of people were down. I mean, remember the uh, Vegas had over under at four and a half, which I thought was ridiculous. And I still think it was ridiculous right now, currently. Uh, but this is a very talented team. And we, we saw that by beating a team like Texas or by like Houston. Sorry. We had the Texas game and showed just how, uh, I don't know, how 
bad the coaching can be at times, right? Getting blown out by a team. Again, hindsight's 2020. This is a team that went five and seven. This is a team that lost six straight games. This was not a very good Texas team. And we knew this was not a very good Texas team at the time. And we still lost by 35 points. Skip forward two weeks later, we lose to TSU in virtually similar fashion. It's not a good team, a team that doesn't go to a bowl game. Five and seven team, a team that I thought was going to be good coming into the season. And then quickly realized just how bad they were. Uh, and we get blown out. And then the, the, the comeback against, you're getting the, the comeback versus Kansas State, where Kansas State just out of nowhere beats us as well, leading the Matt Wells firing. I mean, Dylan, talk about that first half of the season. Those were the first eight games. We were five and three, but we fired our head coach after losing three games that we had no, in ways we had no business losing them. Uh, but yeah, also getting killed by the national media for firing a coach after going five and three. Well, not only did we fire our coach, the next week we're gearing up to start our third quarterback of the season. And, and, and to me, that is like the story of Texas Tech football the last few years. Like, for the love of God, can we just get one quarterback who's good, who wants to stay healthy for a season? Uh, I think that would be really nice. That would be really helpful for Joey McGuire next season. It would have been really helpful for Matt Wells this season. Um, yeah, first half of the season, a little up and down. You glossed over the SFA game, which uh, I, I think bears mentioning as the SFA game was kind of a disaster reminded me a lot of the Houston Baptist game last season. However, that offense for SFA was not near as scary as um, Houston Baptist was a season ago. And yeah, a little, a little bit up and down there to beat West Virginia, which was a little surprising to lose as bad as we did to TCU. And I didn't think TCU was very good. This year was surprising. And then, yeah, the Kansas State game was just the the, the big undoing for Matt Wells and kind of ended up being a silver lining to that loss was, OK, we, we got rid of Matt Wells. And uh, I think I'd be remiss and maybe I'm skipping ahead, but Matt Wells left this program in a good position. That's all I really want to say. I mean, you're, yeah. So, Jeremy, describe the first half of the season and we'll kind of get to the firing of Matt Wells itself. But what did you think about those first eight games? I think we've done it a lot of justice so far, but pointing out that, you know, you, you go out and beat a Houston team. You, ha- you have a tremendous comeback against a Houston team that we were kind of, yeah, you know, Dana Holgerson, it, it, it's Houston. It, we can beat them. No problem. They'll have an OK season. But then they go out and they've only lost two games in the year. Um, that comeback kind of set the wrong tone for the whole season uh, that, oh, my God, Matt Wells can – he can coach. <laughs> this guy got right? it. He this can is, coach. He's he got can, it all. <laughs> this guy's got it. He figured it out. He figured it out. Uh, and then the SFA game is when the red flags started popping up. All the questions of – I mean, being, uh, being there, I didn't think we were going to win. And so the fact that we won was a, a relief, but it shouldn't have been a relief because we should have beat them like we beat FIU. But then we – uh, fast forward to the, the Texas TCU games are the big mulligans of the season. Like, you know, you don't understand how you go out and lose that bad to two teams that were not that good this year. And it, it's a sandwich between, you know, one of your better wins of the season against West Virginia has a tremendous defense uh, and who was, re- who's a lot healthier. They were at the beginning of the season than they were at the end. Uh, but they, they're still a really good team. And then you go out and you beat the powerhouse of Kansas in, in Kansas. And then you lose to the lesser of the two, which is Kansas state. Uh, just very chaotic. I think Dylan has the best word for the beginning of the season. It was just very chaotic, uh, unpredictable, and it, it just it ends up in being Matt Wells' undoing. All right, first of all, I'm not going to let Dylan get all the credit. I was, I was, I was a chaos. I was a chaos guy. Sorry, I'm, I'm chaos you're chaos. Guy. 
the one was not predictable. I, I wrapped it all back in there. <laughs> the first, I oh, used both. And honestly, they, they wrong. kind of are using them in the exact same context. Let's be honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really, all three of us. Roller coaster, unpredictable chaos. It's all. It was, that's what the season all is. So Matt Wolf does get fired after five and three, um, and it's interesting, right? Most tech fans were supportive of the firing. Most national media came down on tech for the firing. Um, and I understand both sides. I, I really do. I understand. Like, I don't think, I know a lot of tech fans were, and, and me included, I think I had some tweets myself where I was like, you don't understand the program. Let's say the program's in. However, you know, you just, if you look at the higher level view, you fire a coach after five and three, right? You're one game away from your first, first bowl game since 2017. I am still of the belief that Matt Wells would have won the sixth game. Even in the murders row coming up, he would have won the sixth game. And that is why they fired him. <laughs> they didn't want to give him the opportunity to win a sixth game and keep himself on here when they knew he's just not that guy. And, and I, honestly, I think it was the right move because of it, right? Because of early signing day, because of everything, I think it was the right move to fire Matt Wells when they did. When you know that, that that's not the direction you want your program to go, you know that. You know already why give him an opportunity. You're going to get killed even more at the end of the season when we're seven and six. You know you want to fire him anyway. Go ahead and do it. I didn't have a problem with it. But I also understand national media that's not necessarily as you know, closing it with the team saying, whoa, whoa, hold on. They're five and three. You know, you never know what's going to, you never know what's going to happen. And I think, I think we would have the same opinion if it happened to a different part, if it happened to an Auburn, right. We would have a similar opinion of, oh, that's crazy. Why y'all doing, why y'all, you know, why y'all firing a coach? He's going five and three. He's winning. What are you talking about? You know, also not knowing the rest of the season coming in. I mean, what did you, Dylan, you brought up a greatly great point as far as him leaving the program in a better situation. I mean, what do you think about Matt Wells firing? Yeah, you know, I, I thought it was just. I, I thought, you know, you could have done it at the end of the previous season. I think what the national media fails to think about when all they see is five and three, right? They see five and three. Why did you fire your football coach? Two reasons. We learned from Cliff Kingsbury's last season as a Red Raider. We learned. We said, you know what? Because Cliff Kingsbury was in the exact same scenario. He was in the hot seat. He did just enough to stay for one more year. And that one more year. Two more years. Well, yeah. Two more years, you could argue. (laughs) But his last year didn't go so well. And so you make the argument, okay, well, we kind of just wasted that last year. And so I think the administration learned from Cliff Kingsbury's tenure, went ahead and pulled the cord on Matt Wells. And then the other thing you got to think of is the early signing period being new to college football. And I think that was that weighed heavy in the decision to hire to fire Matt Wells because let's get a bona fide recruiter and Joey McGuire in early so he can talk to these kids before even all of these schools fire their coaches just to get ahead of everything and set yourself up. And then the last thing I'll say about Matt Wells, I am a firm believer he he left this team in a better place than what he found it. Um, I think talent wise, this team we, we talked about at the beginning of the season, this is one of the most talented Texas Tech teams we've had in a long time. It's unfortunate that we only got seven wins out of it, but with firing your coach and starting three different quarterbacks, I think you'll take a seven win season at the end of that. So uh, I do think Matt Wells left the left it better than he than he found it. And I, I think he brought in a lot of good talent from the transfer market. And that talent's going to stick around for Joey McGuire's first season. So uh, I think it's silly of us to not at least thank Matt Wells a little bit for what he did in Lubbock. Yeah, I think a lot of people, right? I think Kingsbury, when Kingsbury was here, he did a really good job of getting top, te- top, top end talent. He recruited guys like Jordan Brooks, got Pat Mahomes, got like a lot of really – Top end players. We see have a lot. We see a lot of NFL players right now in the in Texas NFL Red Raiders. 
but he didn't have a lot of depth. Our teams during the Kingsbury ten years, the depth was a problem. It's a big reason why our secondary was as bad as it is. A big reason why our defense was as bad as it was because there was just absolutely no depth, and especially on defense, you need to have that depth there. And I and I agree with you. I think that the team is right now currently set up for future success because the depth is now there. The depth is on both sides of the ball. The depth is now at a spot where it wasn't before. And I do think we have we, we owe Matt Wells in that aspect. The problem with Matt Wells is he just, when it came to just in-game coaching, we, we talked about earlier in the season, in-game coaching, he, he just was not that guy. Uh, Jeremy, what do you think about the Wells firing? Yeah, justified. Um, but it, t- it took a lot of, it took a lot of risk in that decision, right? Because something that I think we've talked about I know we talked about it last season, probably talked about it sprinkled into this season was just the, you know, where is the ceiling for Wells? You know, where is he, where's his best abilities? You know, how good can he be as a head coach? And I think during the beginning of this, the beginning of this season, you know, those two massive losses against Texas and TCU, uh, that started to really pull down his average more or less that, okay. uh, We were five and three. But it felt like that sixth win was going to be really tough to get. And so uh, kudos for taking the risk of that firing. Uh, I think certainly it is a risk. And that's why the national media looked at it as such. Uh, but it also just shows the dichotomy of like <clears throat> or the inability of national media to focus on other schools and they're interested in, you know, um, not really taking the due diligence for smaller, less like media driven schools and saying, oh, you know, this makes sense because this, this and this is it's just more of a knee jerk. Oh, my God, five and three. How could you? Um, but it, we've seen the dividends of that. I mean, we, we went seven and six, got a really good bowl win. Uh, we pick up Joey McGuire and, and picking up Joey McGuire is the significant a hinge here because something you guys talked about is how Matt Wells left his program, you know, better than he found it, a la, you know, Tubby Smith at the basketball program. And I think that there's a lot to be said about that. But one of the issues that may arise in that conversation, I think one of the problems that Wells was really focusing on was recruiting the transfer portal and not recruiting like high school recruits. And so, or at least not as well as a lot of his counterparts. And, you know, the transfer portal cannot be the end all be all for your team. Like you cannot build a program off of like everybody else's scraps. Um, not that they're scraps in the fact that they're not good players, but you're not, it's not guaranteed every year. Like you're not guaranteed to have really good players going to the portal, have that like perfect scenario pan out where you, you build the right team. And so I think whole cut and companies notice that there's, there's this lack of really recruiting the state of Texas that has a lot of tremendous talent. We've lost talent out of Lubbock and he wanted to write that ship. And to write that ship, you needed somebody who knew high schools in in Texas, and that's Joey McGuire. And so it was a lot deeper than the record, is what I'm just trying to say. It's a lot deeper than the record. I think, Albie, you said it perfectly. Hoka knew, like, he could have won. He probably could have won a sixth game here. We had the talent. It's the same team, just a different coach. Like, we would have won six. Yeah, we could have won seven. Who knows? Um, or, like, before the bowl game. But that's not where he wanted the program to go. You know, this this like word, this like big 2021 word or 2020 word of like, oh, elite, like we're going to text text can be elite. And we've been dragging that through the mud for so long. I think Hokut had a, had about enough and he really wants, you know, 2022 to be the elite year that he has been promising Red Raider fans, uh, tech and alumni, all that, all that stuff. So it justified just really a lot more deep than the record. Yeah, I actually bring up a good point. So ask Texas State how getting transfers worked. Texas State, I think last year had one high school recruit. Rest were transfers. They went three and five, or what was the record? They went uh, 
four and eight this year. So, right, only getting transfers don't really work. Um, and you're right. It has to be a little bit of duality. I think last year we only had 10 high school recruits. Like they, there has to be a little bit of duality in it. And I think that's the reason y'all bring up with the early signing day. I think this, when we've talked about it already, is the biggest reason why he got canned the way he did to get on that recruiting, to be able, so he can go out and recruit high school. And it's already worked. The 2022 class is already one of the better classes we've had. And the 2023 class is setting up to be a legendary historic Texas tech class. So, um, so I don't want to harp too much on recruiting. I don't want to sound like the Aggies, but um, but the, the the hiring of Joey McGuire and and I was going to kind of go into that, but it seems like Red Raider fans absolutely love the guy. A lot of good energy, a lot of uh, he is as passionate as they come. Um, and the, the team he left just won the Big Twelve and won the Sugar Bowl. And here's the thing: we are going to attribute that to his record. If they would have lost, we would have said no. They had nothing to do with him, right? That's how we work. Okay, but I mean, Joey McGuire, he's, he's the only kickback. And the thing I always say with Texas Tech fans is he's, he's we haven't seen him coach as a head coach, call plays, X's and O's, any of that at this level. Now, luckily, he seems to be more of an overseer. It seems like Tim DeRuiter, the defensive coordinator, and Zach Kittley, the offensive coordinator, are going to be doing the X's and O's and actually doing the hands-on coaching. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how a Joey McGuire-led team is going to operate in the future. But we're not going to have to worry about talent. It seems like the talent's going to be there. Yeah, I would encourage Texas Tech fans not to get too high on Joey McGuire until he's coached a football game. That's just maybe that's just the pessimistic Texas Tech fan inside of me coming out, but let's let's wait. I think there's a lot of legitimacy to that because you don't want to. I mean, there's 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 worlds where you recruit really well and then your program blows up because ah, you're actually not a good coach. Like this is not. Un, like this is not unheard of for programs and so let's be a little patient i can we can say that we're glad that we have moved up substantially in the recruiting rankings that there's a lot of energy around the program again that's good uh but yeah there's a long way to next season and it's a really good lineup i think it's a it's a it's an it's a tremendous lineup for his first year as a head coach um but we got to get there right yeah so, something we'll tells me that when we're doing our season uh, there'll be a lot of predictions for eight win, nine win seasons, and then it'll be us. <laughs> yeah. Then there'll be us. <laughs> Texas Tech fans, so, they, they don't learn. You know, like this is yeah. this is how we operate. We get way too high for no good reason, and then get crushed yeah, when our lofty expectations get dismantled. Oh, that's a great double entendre there. Ah, that's funny. Uh, so we get to the second half of the season. Four games, it's murderers row, right? It's it's at Oklahoma or wait, sorry. It's Oklahoma, Iowa State, uh, Oklahoma State, and Baylor. The four best teams in the conference. We're playing them back to back to back to back. It's supposed to be an own four, but but Sonny Crumbie led Texas Second Raiders, upset the Iowa State Cyclones. Everybody's happy. We don't get embarrassed. None of the games are really embarrassing. We don't get embarrassed. Both Oklahoma State and Baylor, the team plays well. The defense plays fantastic in both games. Offense kind of stumbles in the Oklahoma State game. We are a field goal away from upsetting a top 10 ranked Baylor. Uh, The same Baylor team that ended up winning the Big 12 and going to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Safe to say that uh, outside of their loss, we were the closest to beating them. So that makes us the third best team in the Big 12 as far as I'm concerned. Um, So... (laughs) Uh, I mean, talk, like, walk us through the end of the season, Jeremy. Yeah, I mean, well, you lost to Oklahoma, and that was going to happen. 
at 52-21. That was going to happen. But then the Iowa State game. The trap game we talked about. Oh, Iowa State's looking ahead. Eh, maybe they're not. We haven't caught Iowa State off guard in a long time. Matt Campbell has taken Texas Tech and shoved it in the ground every time he's got the chance. But something happened. We brought out old Donovan Smith. And <laughs> for some reason, I don't know, between it being a trap game and between, you know, just Cumby and there was just a lot of variables that all came together. It was a night game, if you remember. Uh, pulling out a, I mean, a record-winning field goal, 60-something yards, whatever it was, 62, 63 yards, uh, Jonathan Garibay, and we ended up beating Iowa 41-38. to And one of the best, one of the most exciting, I think, football games Texas Tech has had in a, quite a few years um, that actually results in us winning, you know, and that kind of, for a lot of people, uh, bring people, you know, kind of brought people more into the, okay, Donovan Smith's actually a really good quarterback. Sonny Cumbie can coach. Maybe we can go snag another one. And then, you know, we, we face the store defense of the Big 12 that's in Oklahoma State, and they wipe the floor with us. Uh, now, we don't give up nearly as many points as we could have, which I think is a really good testament for the defense, but the offense can't get anything going. We lose 23-0, uh, blanked out, really gives us no hope for the next week. But, you know, we come out against uh, a top 10 Baylor team, and we end up losing uh, on a missed field goal, you know, 27-24. In a game, I think that if we had gotten that field goal, we had a lot of momentum there at the end of the game. Might have been able to squeak it out uh, in overtime. But all the same, you you pull out one out of a four really tough, um, really tough stretch there at the end of the season. And Cumbie, you know, at least gets us to the bowl game, which is a, a massive win for this program, especially going forward. So I not I mean, it's a terrible end of the season numerically, but I think not that bad, you know, considering everything that was going on. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Um, and that's, man, that was a nice little detailed walkthrough. I don't even know if to ask Dylan his thoughts. I mean, I feel like that was, uh, Dylan, you got anything to add to that? <laughs> it's pretty much covered it all. I, I think the only mistake Jeremy made was when, when Texas Tech fans and Jeremy apparently after the Ohio, Iowa State game said, oh, we could get one more. It's like, okay, guys, chill out. Like, we, we, we've got the best. <laughs> I was not wrong in thinking that. one of the best that. defenses in the Big 12 and historically over the last few years in Oklahoma State. And then Baylor, who just surged at the end of the season and the eventual hey, we almost Big beat 12 Baylor. champions. I, I know. We almost, we almost got Baylor. Baylor. I was not wrong know, for thinking it's that. Just, it's classic Texas Tech move right there. We could have we been in the Texas Bowl, baby. We could have been playing tonight. Or wait, tomorrow, Tuesday night. That could have been us. Almost. Maybe. Almost. Um, so with that, let's walk through the team itself. But before we do, it's time to time to talk about apparel. And that's home field apparel, right? Make sure to go to homefieldapparel.com. Promo code takes 12, T-A-K-E-S-1-2, to get your all your Texas Tech swag. Uh, home field apparel, I, let me tell you something. They have some of the best Red Raider gear out there. And you can't really get this gear anywhere else either. That's the thing. You can't go to Red Raider Outfitter and get some of the stuff that Home Field Apparel has. They have licensing to some of the old logo stuff. Everybody, look, I put out a tweet about the, the 3D double T and the old school double T. And a lot of y'all like the old school logo. And I'm not mad at it. I like it as an alternate. I'm not, a, I like, I'm personally a fan of the 3D double T myself. But if you like the old school logo, go to Home Field Apparel and get you some. What you doing waiting around here for? All right. So they have plenty of the old school logo in their warehouse, ready to go. They get restocked because it's post-Christmas. So, I mean, hey, 
And you can't get the deals they were getting before unless you use our promo code that is TAKES12, T-A-K-E-S-1-2. Now, Texas Tech offense, I mean, you talked about it a little bit. We used three quarterbacks this year, Tyler Shuck, Henry Columbia, Donovan Smith. Um, Tyler Shuck, collarbone injury. When he had the collarbone injury, I said that's probably it for him for the rest of the season because that's something you don't really play with, especially if you want him to be your quarterback long term. Henry Columbia got hurt, but also kind of got benched. If we're being real with ourselves, he was healthy the last few games and seemed like he's kind of stepped away from the sport of football. Most likely going to go into coaching if I had to guess. Um, Donovan Smith, though, towards the end of the season, we use words like roller coaster and unpredictable. That's what Donovan Smith was. I mean, he had a great, great game against Iowa State. One of the best performances we've seen. And his first, and his first real start, he played the Oklahoma game, but his first real start was against Iowa State. And... But then he had the Oklahoma State game where, let's face it, he looked awful. Now, I personally have the belief that it was because of the defense and how good that defense was. He he also didn't play great against Baylor, right? But then you have the bowl game against Mississippi State where he plays fantastic. So offensively, all right, if we look at the offense as a whole, we have the quarterback situation. Our running backs, both Todd Brooks and Roger Thompson, play absolutely fantastic. Receivers, another unpredictable group. And O-line was very predictable. They were bad. That was that was the prediction all year. They were just bad. Uh, Dylan, what do you think about the offense as a whole? Yeah, it's really tricky to evaluate an offense that started three different quarterbacks. But I, I do think it starts with the offensive line. And yes, again, not great. Probably the biggest thing to address going into next season. Um, pleasantly surprised by the wide receiver groups. You know, people like Kalen Geiger. Kalen Geiger had big moments this season. Eric Izukama did what everyone expected him to do this season. Uh, Miles Price stepped up in a big way in a few games this year. So I think if you're looking at the receiver group, you're pretty excited. You mentioned the running backs. Doesn't matter who it is, which whichever's the hot hand is a great choice. Hell, Xavier White. Xavier, I forgot yep. about him. Xavier White also had had a decent season this year as well. Yeah. So as a whole, I think you've got to be pretty impressed with the offense. Given their limitations and what they had to work with, I, I think you're you're happy with how that season went. You're happy with how Sonny Cumbie changed that group a little bit I, I i like what sunny cumby did versus what david yost used to be doing um so yeah the offense you, oh. you've, yeah david yost i i hate even <laughs> saying the name i almost went for it win as him for halloween one year because we have very similar hair and oh boy scare that would have been a scary costume so very appropriate but yeah offense as a whole you've got to be somewhat excited and you've got to be excited for the future of donovan smith absolutely jeremy what do you think of the offense I was gonna say I, I I heard from somebody that David Yost is actually still living in Lubbock. Was that one of y'all? I don't know. I don't. I don't. Yeah, live apparently, in Lubbock. He, apparently he liked it. Just kind of kind of settled down. Uh, the offense as a whole, man. Dylan hit it uh, spot on. Like it's really hard to evaluate this based on how the season went. You know, multiple quarterbacks, multiple like offensive pedagogies throughout the season. The the teams that we played at those different junctures. Like this has just been a crazy season, and uh, the endurance of this team in, in a number of ways uh, is inspiring. But I think that you know we we and we'll talk about it. But like you know, I think I think a lot of our predictions earlier on the season uh, pretty much came true. We were a little bit surprised by the wide receivers uh, in adding a lot more depth because I think being opening up our playbook a lot more allowed that. And so we were able to see the level of talent that we had at the, uh, you know, at the two, three, four, five spot at the, in the depth chart. I think Taj Brooks is somebody who really stepped up this season. We're very, we're very used to, you know, Sir Roger Thompson being that, you know, 
sweet feet guy who can go out and get you a lot of yards and a lot of yards after contact. Uh, but Todd Brooks, I think, really came in this season and offered a lot of uh, a lot of abilities on a lot less rushing attempts. And so through the through the the gauntlet of quarterbacks that we've had, you know, we were able to string together a couple of different wins with the, a couple of different quarterbacks at the helm. And so I think that this was just an enduring season for our offense to go out and get what they could when they could and they still struggled in a lot of ways but they still surprised us in a lot of ways so it just kind of falls back to that whole you know roller coaster chaotic unpredictability of this team in 2021 it's just kind of epitomized by the offense especially absolutely so let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball uh and and jeremy i know you were just long-winded on offense took a sip you ready to go tell tell us about the defense what did you think about the defense as a whole Impressive, um, man. Where there was uh, where there was a lot of need in the past ten years of <laughs> Texas Tech's defense, I think this year's defense was one of the better defenses we've had in a very long time. Starts up front with the lineman, who, despite a <laughs> a, a a rough kind of like three man push with no backup a lot of the season, uh, did a really good job at at least creating. Uh, creating enough shift for our linebackers to get a lot of action and our linebackers are the strongest group on this defense and i think they performed really well between schooler jeffers merriweather um josiah pierre had good had a couple games there's just uh the biggest question on this defense was the defensive backs and the biggest impress like the biggest impressive group for me this season was the defensive backs because we had a lot better we had depth we had better coaching it all came together, and we weren't absolutely smacked around by every team in the passing game. And so I think this defense had one of the most consistently, like, they were the most consistent throughout the year that they have been in, like I said, at least over a decade. Because the, 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 incredibly impressive what they did to a lot of really good teams, especially there in the bowl game against Mississippi State, who was not used to scoring less than 10 in the season. Yeah, the, de- the defense in Charlie smacked Mississippi State around. I raise you your top 10 offense and give you this. A hit at the goal line, one yard line from Reggie Pearson. Absolutely fantastic. D- Dylan, what do you think about the defense? Probably the the best thing Matt Wells ever did as a Red Raider was call Colin Schooler, right? Probably the best thing he ever did was call Colin Schooler. Um, between Colin Schooler, Eric Monroe, Reggie Pearson, Krishan Merriweather, like the transfers that Matt Wells brought in on defense have all hit. I mean, let's be honest. Even Jacob Morgenstern. To, to hey, Morgenstern, baby. To, he actually did, you know, last season, the previous season, he played quite a bit. This season, he, he kind of got buried a little bit, but doesn't matter who he brought in. Every guy on defense he brought in played tremendously. I think Jeremy had it spot on. The defensive backs was probably where we in, improved the most. Our, our secondary the last few years has just been god awful. Just god awful. And so to bring in someone like Eric Monroe, the emergence of Adrian Taylor Demerson, uh, Reggie Pearson just being a hammer. I mean, you saw it in the bowl game. He is an absolute hammer, a thumper. Um, yeah, I, I, you, you can't not but be impressed by this group. And uh, I'm, I'm glad Gary, or not Gary Patterson, Keith Patterson got Come a. On now. I've done that before. That's not the first time I've done that. I'm glad that <laughs> Keith Patterson has got a head coaching opportunity out of what his defense has done. The duality of man that is Keith Patterson, because Keith Patterson would annoy, or, or frustrate the hell out of me with his refusal to blitz, his refusal, his, his drop eight coverage that just, it, in my opinion, just does not work. However, 
when it comes to sound defense, and one big difference in the, in the bowl game I saw, Mississippi State couldn't tackle to save their lives. They were tripping all over the place, so many missed tackles. It was crazy. It reminded me of Texas Tech defense from, from uh, yesteryear. But our defense, sure, and really for three years now, short tackling, quality tackles, getting to the ball, getting to the rock. Really, the only time we really saw that not work was Texas and TCU games. But even in those two games, it was less about – I thought those two games was more about how bad the defensive scheme was as opposed to the, the, the techniques that the players were doing. So I think he did – again, we talk about the, the, how the, the coaching staff has really set this team up. I thought Keith Patterson's part of that. The way he's coached this team, the way these defensive coaches have coached this team the last three years has – we are now – the defense is starting from a better place. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to see where Tim DeRuiter takes it. Similar, you know, that similar old school coaching mindset. Uh, but he has a lot more experience. He ain't coming from, you know, a smaller school. He's coming from the big time, coming from Oregon. So I'm definitely excited for that. So let's go to what our predictions said, right? Start off with Offensive Player of the Year. Um, so, for, Jeremy, you didn't have an Offensive Player of the Year prediction. You weren't on that episode. Uh, <laughs> but St- Steven from Talking Tech. Dylan and myself all said Eric Ezukama would be the offensive player of the year. Uh, Steven put out an honorable mention of Miles Price. I put out an honorable mention of Dawson Deaton. Nice. Uh, who? Yeah, yeah. You know, hey, man, I'm, I'm nuanced like that. Did man. I have an honorable mention? You did not. You, did, you were like, it's Eric Ezukama or bust. I mean, yeah, it's easy money at that, at that guess. Uh, so is Eric Ezukama actually the offensive player of the year? Yeah, I don't know who Dylan. else you pick. Sticking with Eric Ezukama. Jeremy, give give him who it is. Who's the offensive player of the year? No. My offensive player of the year is Taj Brooks, man. Talk about a running back that stepped up in a a time of need. So Roger Thompson, not really sure if he's coming back or not, and just capitalized on his moment. I mean, Taj Brooks is, for for our offensive scheme, especially going forward, an elite running back. And I think Zach Kittley is going to be able to utilize him and Thompson especially. But Taj Brooks stepped up in 20 less attempts, had 68 more yards than Sirajic Thompson, and a couple less touchdowns. But Thompson kept getting put in at the goal line scenarios. And Brooks, we hardly saw Brooks in the red zone. It was always Thompson. And I understand that with Thompson's ability, like uh, lateral abilities. But that's why he ends up with more touchdowns at the end of the season. But Taj Brooks has created his own gaps multiple times this season, has has, uh, capitalized on yardage given to him, and has been an absolute uh, tour de force for our running game. Taj Brooks I am, all the way. I've been Brooks on the Taj Brooks way. hive since the beginning. I think right. I created it. And that's a good answer, but any answer other than <laughs> Eric Izukanma is a lie. Mm, so I, am I the tiebreaker here? <laughs> it sounds like I'm the tiebreaker here. Those are the two, I mean, in my opinion, those are the two options. I, funny enough, so Roger Thompson actually ended the year with more yards from scrimmage. Um, but like, like Jeremy talked about, it was a lot more attempts to get there. Uh, a lot more. They had the same amount of catches, but um, uh, 19 or 21 more attempts to get to uh, less yardage. Todd Brooks averaged 6.5 carries a game. Though it was a roller coaster season for him, though, I'm going to Eric Kizukama. He's the best player on the team. Eric Kizukama is the best player on the team, and because I don't like being wrong, so I'm sticking with my, <laughs> I'm sticking with my early season prediction. That was Eric Ezukama. He led the team in yards from scrimmage. Almost a thousand. Uh, give him another game, he probably gets a thousand yards in the season. So uh, yeah, Eric Ezukama. That's, that's actually how do you play in the bowl game? He probably gets a thousand yards in the season. 
So give me Eric Ezukama, guy who led the team from scrimmage by almost 200 yards and didn't play in the ball game. Absolutely. Easy was fantastic. So defensive player of the year. Uh, that was the episode Dylan was not on. And we had Nick and Jackson from the Rambling Raiders on for us. Uh, this was a little bit more uh, nuanced. We, we had a little bit more people or picks and choices to pick from. Uh, Jeremy and Jackson, both were on the Rico Jeffers Hive. Right, Both of y'all would love, love to do some Rico. Uh, Nick picked Krishan Merriweather and said that he will be drafted in the 2022 draft. Oops. Uh, safe to say that he was wrong about that with Merriweather coming back. The boy was but, wrong. <laughs> um, I, however, chose Colin Schooler. Smart man. I, I thought so that should have been I'm an easy answer, answer, right? That's what, and that's what I said on the podcast. <laughs> that it was an easy answer. That was Colin Schooler. I am obviously I'm picking with my defensive player of the year. That is Colin Schooler. I'm assuming Dylan is as well. Uh, yeah, I've picked them all season. You, I, pretty much any game, you ask me who's going to be the defensive player of the game this this game, and I'm like Colin Schooler. Is that what I sound like? <laughs> I guess so. That's my best yeah, impression of you. <laughs> Jeremy, who's your defensive player of the year? You know, I'm not going to pick Colin Schooler. Uh, it, because, in spite of you guys, obviously Colin Schooler across the board, so so good, so good. Well, there's one player who kept popping up throughout the season, who kept impressing me, who at a certain point, I, there was a tweet that became automatic for me. Um, Adrian Taylor Demerson. Player of the year? Jer- Absolutely. Jeremy's player of the year is Defensive. Jeremy's most improved player of the year. Because I think you could say that about Taj yeah. Brooks. You could say yeah. that about Deadrian Taylor. We, that's true. That's true. Yeah. We, we, I, I don't want to just like, we could all sink into the same player. And we don't have multiple categories, so I'm trying to lump it in two. Deadrian Taylor Dimison has has injected a lot of life into this defensive back group and has injected a lot of energy into this defensive back group. And even though he only had three interceptions on the season, it should have been like six, seven. He's he's due for a breakout year next year. I, I cannot wait. But he has t- he took Coach Jones's coaching like 1,000%. His ability to get within between the receiver and the ball, his ability to deflect passes, 10 deflections on the year, um, his ability to like break down and make tackles didn't miss. Uh, I was looking at it earlier, missed very few tackles this year. I think two or three tackles on the season. Um, a tremendous lockdown defensive player that has, that has given us a lot of hope going forward for the defensive back core that we have kind of like the momentum going into the next season for that. If we want to say the defensive backs are the most improved um, players of this, of this, of this defensive group. I think that starts with Adrian Taylor Dimerson. Now, of course, Eric Monroe played better all around, um, had more key moments in different games, but I think Adrian Taylor Dimerson is a guy who kept showing up on the sheets, kept showing up on uh, highlight reels. And there's a good reason for that. Yeah. One thing we forgot to mention about when it comes to the secondary, they did all this without Muddy Waters, who I still believe is the best player in the secondary. Um, that's Dylan's boy, Dylan's boy, Muddy Waters, who will be back next year. That's right. So, um, and then so finally we get to our season prediction, season ending prediction from all of us. Um, so first I'm gonna start off with the our other podcast family. Steven from from Talking Tech predicted an eight and four record. Uh, shout out to Jackson from Ramblin' Raiders. He predicted that we'd go six and six and then win the bowl game. Spot on for Jackson. Nick said we'd go six and six and lose the bowl game. How dare you, Nick? Um, so I predicted a seven and five record. Jeremy predicted a seven and five record. And Delano over here, eight and four, baby. You went all eight and four. You were, you were, yeah, man, you were all about it. 
Um, so, hey, shout out to Jackson. Spot on with his analysis of a 6-6. Six and six. But we all predicted that'd be enough to keep Matt Wells' job, and we were all wrong <laughs> in that. Yeah, so that's, that's where we ended it there. So, with all that being said, an absolutely fantastic season, or a tumultuous season, I would say, for the Texas Raiders. But it sets us up. I, I talked about it in the last podcast. I think this season reminds me a lot of Tubby Smith's last year. Reminded me, reminds me a lot of it. The ending reminds me a lot of it. And for us, right, what ended up happening is, is that that was set the foundation for the next few years when it came to Chris Beard. Uh, anything else you want to say to the people, Dylan? Well, you said we had a tumultuous year, tumultuous year. And I need to remind you that your three words are roller coaster, chaotic, and whatever word I said, that's basically the same thing. Unpredictable. Unpredictable. <laughs> Not so, you know, you didn't use one of your three bonus words, but. I'm, I'm adding, I'm adding tumultuous. That's the fourth. <laughs> That's all Jeremy, I got. What, do you, what else you got to say to the people? Got some new shoes. You guys can't see them, but my boys can. Pretty slick. Uh, yeah, good enough season. Excited for next season. Uh, a lot of energy going into 2022. And I think that's I think that's the biggest win for Texas Tech football, if we're being Is honest. Is wearing New Balance a hipster thing, Dylan? I guess. I don't know. I'm not hip. I'm just a hippie. I'm not hip. So Look don't ask guy. me. They're cheap. Backwards hat, jean jacket, hey. New Balance shoes. The, oh, chin, the chin strap. My hair. Is that a Lululemon t-shirt? I don't I can't. It is, bro. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, it's so lovely. Oh, oh nice. there it yeah. is, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, well, so like Jeremy's outfit choices, this season was off the rails. Like this podcast, this season what? was off you the rails. You just added another word. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, but it was a fun season. It is a fun season. Like I said, it sets up the season. It sets up where we are as a program. And we now switch over to basketball season. Basketball season and recruiting, right? So the basketball team, it's, right now, they also set up for a pretty tumultuous season, if you ask me. Um, but Big 12 as a whole is tough this year. Lord Jesus is the toughest. The only conference in the country to have every team over 60% win percentage. So it's, it's really wild. We'll be on the lookout for basketball episodes for both the men and the women coming up soon. Um, women actually just played the other day. They played Oklahoma. Played them pretty well. A loss, but played it pretty well. That's a team that's probably going to be in the NCAA tournament. So to play them to a close loss, like I said, I don't believe in moral victories unless we suck and we're not that great. So I believe in that moral victory. Uh, with that being said, for Dylan, the producer extraordinaire, and for Jeremy Gillen, the swag man, uh, this is Albie Shore. As always, stay wrecked, people. Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.